0: Good morning. Good morning. Second Kings, the sixth chapter. If you want to turn there in the Old Testament, that's where we're going to take a look at this morning. Title of our lesson this morning: When You Lose Your Cutting Edge, based upon Second Kings, chapter six, verses one through seven. And uh, Estuardo read that for us just a few moments ago. Kind of, we talked about it a little bit on Wednesday night, but I wanted to cover it again. It's sort of a strange little story. It's almost weird. It's just all of a sudden it's it's there. And it's uh, surrounded by Second Kings. We'll talk about that in just a moment there. But in that particular story, there's a young prophet. There's actually the sons of the prophets. There's more than one. But they suggest they want to go build a bigger place. Elijah agrees, and he goes along with them. And so they start to cut down trees. And all of a sudden... He loses the axe head off of his, uh, or the head off of his axe, and he cries out that it is borrowed. And then Elijah takes a stick, tosses it in the water, and makes it float, and it's recovered. And that's the story. Got it? It's kind of interesting. You stop and you think about God's Word, and you think about things like creation, you think about incarnation. (laughs) Uh, Crucifixion, resurrection, the consummation of human history that is recorded. You think about all of these topics that are covered within God's word, how monumental they are. And then all of a sudden you find this little story, just seven verses, about somebody who's cutting down trees and they lose the head off their axe. It's like, what is that? And why is that there? So there's two things that you want to keep in mind whenever you think about the Scriptures. First of all, well, two things. I'm going to add this. And I always say this because when I was in high school and I was in college, and you had to write term paper, I was always looking for filler. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) There's no filler in God's Word. Whatever is recorded there is recorded for a reason. And so whenever we take a look at God's Word and we think about even a strange story like this, there's two things to keep in mind. What's in this story for me? What does God intend for me to make, how does He intend for me to make application? And then the second thing is, and most importantly, what does this story tell me about God? What's the application for me? And what's the Scripture telling me about God? So as we take a look at this today, three points. There's the challenge, we'll notice that, there's the crisis, and then there's the rescue. So I'll just head and put that up there, the challenge. So I'm going to read the first three verses once again. Second Kings 6, verses 1 through 3. And the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, See, now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and let every man take a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered and said, I will go. So how does the story begin? The sons of the prophets, so obviously there's this group, there's like this school, so to speak. And they say the place where we are now dwelling with you is too small. We need to build some place bigger. And so Elijah says, go. And then they ask, well, why don't you come and go with us? And so he says, I will. Now, backing up just a moment in the context of 2 Kings, this is now Elijah, uh, or Elijah. Elijah was the major prophet that came onto the scene in 1 Kings 17. But now Elijah has passed on. Elijah has taken his place and it's readily recognized by everyone that this is the leading spokesman for God. It's Elijah. And so they're asking him, we would like to build a bigger place. And he said, okay. And then they say, would you go with us? Man of God, this is what we'd like to do. You have my approval. We would like you to go with us. He says, I'll go. And so then they proceed. So as you stop and you think about this, there's a couple of things that just kind of jumps out. Here's this school. Here's these young men. And they say, this place is too small for us. Let's build a bigger place. They are growing and they want to grow more and they're willing to put forth the effort in order to do that. So as you stop and think about that, is there any implication? Well, we know there's growth. They're wanting to grow more, and they're willing to put forth the effort and the work in order that they might be able to do that. So I want to give you just a couple of quotes to think about as we get into this lesson. Here's the first one. In the end... It is important to remember that we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. We cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. Makes sense, doesn't it? Here's the second one. Unless you do something beyond what you've already mastered, you will never grow. Unless you do something beyond what you've already mastered, you're not going to grow. (laughs) Become stagnant. You're just frozen. So, actually, this little story here, as it begins, is good news. Now, the reason why I point that out, the reason why I say that is because if you've been with us on Wednesday evenings as we've studied through the books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, what we've recognized is that, that the nation divided and there's the northern ten tribes, Israel. There's the two tribes to the south, Judah. And mostly so far, it's focused more on the northern tribes. They've had nine different kings and every one of those kings have been evil. And this nation is being led further and further away from God. And now all of a sudden, you have this little story. And here's the sons of the prophets and they're growing and they want to expand. It's kind of like in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the bad news, all of a sudden there's this little seven verses. This is good news. (laughs) These are the sons of the prophets. These are the children of God and they're growing and they want to expand I don't know how many is there there's multiple but I do know this if you back up just a few chapters and get back into 1 Kings 19 do you remember when Elijah was still on the scene and do you remember that showdown on Mount Carmel and how God had shown himself to be the true God by consuming that sacrifice with fire and yet Jezebel She wanted to kill Elijah. And so what does Elijah do? He goes all the way to Mount Horeb. And when he gets there, what does he tell God? He said, they have torn down your uh, your altars. They are killing your prophets. And I am the only one left. Just me, God. And what's God telling? No, it's not There's 7,000 others out there that have not bowed the knee. So now I want you to go back and get busy. And so here we are, just a few chapters later. Elijah has passed from the scene. But he had a follower. And who was that follower? Elijah. Elijah. And what does Elijah ask for? When Elijah passes from the scene, he says, I want a double portion. And so when Elijah is taken up, his mantle falls. And Elijah had told him, if you see me when I'm taken, it'll be so. And he saw him. And he picked up his mantle. And now we have Elijah. And he has that double portion. But not only that, now we see that there's these sons of the prophets. There's like these schools. And so the number is multiplying. Can you see that? Elijah, I'm the only one. God says, no, not. (laughs) Elijah asked for a double portion. And now there's even more that are wanting to follow. And not only are they following, they said, we're growing. We want to expand. 1st Kings 19 the prophets were being hunted down hunted down and killed. There were some that were living hiding in caves. They were being fed bread and water. I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. They're being hunted They're being killed. They're living on bread and water. I think I'd like to be a prophet. How about you? (laughs) You think that's the way it is? Why? Are the number, is the number growing? Do you think Elijah had any impact? I think so. Do you think Elijah is having any impact? I think so. And there are young men that are saying what you've done, what you've suffered through, that's exactly what I want to do. Now I want to ask you a question. They knew the political climate They knew the religious climate. False worship, false gods, evil kings. Previously, they've been hunted down and killed. And yet, they're stepping up and saying, I want to be a prophet. (laughs) In our society today, you think about the political climate. You think about the religious climate. Now, here comes the question. How many families, how many sons are stepping up and saying, you know what I want to do with my life? I want to preach. A lot of people saying, you got to be a doctor, you got to be a lawyer, you got to be an engineer you ought to be a skilled blue-collar worker. You can make a lot of money. Things go real well. But how many are stepping up and saying, I want to preach? How popular is it? There's still a lot of popular quote-unquote preachers out there. But how many of them are standing up and saying, What's going on in this country is wrong. How many are stepping up and saying the immorality that's going on in this country right now is wrong? I want to be one of the sons of the prophets. You see that? And yet within the context, First and Second Kings, you have this little story. And here's the sons of the prophets. And they're growing. And they're telling Elijah, we want to expand. He said, that's good. Come and go with us. He said, I'm with you. So what's the text telling us, first of all? That when society as a whole seems like it's headed in the wrong direction before we look out there look in here was God still working among his people yes he was and so you think about Elijah he was bold and brave and he delivered a message And he had somebody that wanted to follow him, Elijah. I'll take a double portion of that. You're serving the one true God. That's what I want too. And now there's the sons of the prophets. It's like these schools that we see in the Old Testament. And they're saying, that's what I want to do. I want to serve Jehovah, that one true God. Acts the 20th chapter we just finished studying the book of Acts and you recall Paul on his third missionary journey as he is headed towards Jerusalem and he stops in Miletus and he calls for the elders from Ephesus and they come down and meet him and what does he tell them he says take heed to yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood you want just say? That group that you have the oversight of? Blood bought. Blood bought. That's what Peter said. You've been purchased with the precious blood of a lamb. That's what makes people want to serve God. Look what he did for you. You think about Paul, missionary journeys, preaching the gospel, making disciples, disciples coming together in various areas into local churches individuals bought by the blood of the lamb coming together to worship to serve and to encourage edify one another so let me ask did Paul ever suffer any persecution yeah sure did and yet at the same time you have individuals taught the gospel and they're saying I want to do what you do. You see, see that? Elijah served Jehovah. That was the meaning of his name. Jehovah is my God. And what had God done for them as a nation? He had brought them out of bondage set them apart and made them his people. And that's what Elijah was calling them back to. That's what Elijah is calling them back to. That's what the sons of the prophets are coming, calling them back to. So into a nation who had strayed far from God, God called Elijah. Elijah delivered a message. And it's having an impact. And so now we see this little bit of good news. First off, the sons of the prophets are growing and they're wanting to expand. So is there an implication do you think for us? So stop and think about this. Have you been bought by the blood of the lamb. Yeah. So have you grown spiritually to that point where you understand what your relationship is with God through Jesus Christ? And then, having grown to that point, do you want to grow further? Because that's what they're doing. And then they're saying... (laughs) They're willing to put forth the effort to grow even more. And so we have to ask, are we willing to? Ephesians, the fourth chapter, about verses 11 and 12. Paul writes in regards to the church, and he says he gave some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying, that means building up, of the body of Christ, God gave what was necessary to establish and then to equip so that his people could serve him and grow at the same time. So in verse 1, it says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. So here's the question. Is the place, is the place where you have been dwelling spiritually, is it too small for you? Or do you say, I'm comfortable. I fit right in work room where I'm at. Now I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to get us to think. Sometimes we think about, for instance this group. we came from a little hotel conference room up here and then we rented space down on the other end and then we grew here. So as a group it's like grow. okay, so the space was too small. grow, that's good. But I'm saying individually. The space that you're living in is it too small. Let me give you a little um, well what one writer recorded uh, from a survey. He did not state the survey he quoted from. Uh, there's various surveys out there you could get Christian quote unquote surveys that are done. Barna Group is one of the. Kind of follows trends within Christianity, so to speak. This is some of the things that he recorded. He was talking about average praying time for the individual. People who claim to be Christians, believe in God, and the amount that they pray each day, this is excluding meal time. This is just prayer time. This is the average. This is the average. Do you know what the recorded? of the average is? Two minutes. Two minutes. Now you know some people are going to pray a lot longer. Some people may not be praying at all. Two minutes. Average prayer time. He went on to say that many who claim to be Christian do not attend any local group on a regular basis. Once again, I'm not trying to be critical, I'm just saying. There are many now, and it's become more so in this country than back even when I was a kid, that do not identify with a local group. They may say they're Christian, but they don't necessarily attach themselves to any particular group local group but I just ask is that the way it was in the New Testament we studied this morning from 1 Corinthians and that letter was addressed to the church of God at Corinth a local group that people were part of it went on to say Actual Bible reading is very sporadic, if ever. And then several said, by fasting one meal, and I'm not saying that fasting is commanded. Can you fast? Yes, you can. I'm not saying it's commanded. This was just a question that was posed. They said, fasting one meal. Not one day, <laughs> one meal would benefit them spiritually. So we stop and think about that. We think, do we recognize within this country the smallness of the space that spirituality? actually holds for many people so is it too small sons of the prophet are saying where we live now is too small we want to be bigger second Kings chapter 6 verse four and five so this is talking about Elijah so he went with them And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So they come to the Jordan. They start cutting down trees because they got a clear space because they're wanting to grow and expand. And as one of them is cutting, then he loses the head off of his axe. But first of all, in order for them to grow, they have to first clear this space so that they have room to grow, so that they can grow. So spiritually speaking, we think along the lines of the same thing. If a person is going to grow spiritually, there are certain things that you're going to have to clear out of your life. Isn't that right? Colossians, the third chapter, Paul says, put off anger, wrath, malice, filthy language, and so forth, and put on the new man. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Paul talks about the same thing in the righteous church of Ephesus. Put off the old man so that you can put on the new. It was mentioned in class this morning from Second Peter. Peter says to add unto your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, Self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly love. Put off those old things so that you have room to grow and you build, you add these other things. So that's what we see. They come there And they start to clear so that they can grow, so that they can expand. But in verse 5, as one young man is cutting, the axe head flies off and it falls into the water. So here's the question. What do you lose? Well, here's the hint. (laughs) He lost the cutting edge. So as you stop and think about that, now back when I was a kid and we lived on the farm, we had an axe that actually had two edges, right? (laughs) But some axes just have one edge. But on that one edge, that's the cutting edge. That's what you work with. It's kind of hard to cut down a tree with your hand. So you have the cutting edge and you're able to do that. And so sometimes when we think about cutting edge, we think about that which is leading, that which is out front. So it's January now, it's cold outside, but springtime's coming and ladies are probably familiar with this. There's going to be fashion trends that come in the springtime, right? (laughs) And somebody will be on the leading edge, the cutting edge of that. I spent 33 years with General Motors, and so you think about automotive technology. And now the big talk is about electric vehicles. That's kind of the cutting edge. That's the leading edge. Self-driving vehicles, Mm. I don't know if that edge is ready yet or not, but that's kind of the cutting edge. Isn't it? In medicine, what's the latest treatment or the latest equipment? That's the leading edge. That's the cutting edge. That's what's out front. That's what's clearing the way and giving direction. So, as we think about the cutting edge spiritually, we think about being in tune with God. Walking with God. Walking with His Word. That's kind of that cutting edge. So let me give you an example. Acts the second chapter. The Apostle Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he tells them that this same Jesus whom they had crucified, that God had now made him both Lord and Christ, that's the cutting edge. He was the one that was leading the way. And now they are preaching the gospel. And Peter is convicting them and telling them that you took my lawless hand and crucified the Lord of glory. And when he says that, verse 37, Acts chapter 2, it says they were cut to the heart. Convicted. Convicted. Of what they had done, the sin, and that clears the way to sow that seed of the gospel. Right? That's the cutting edge. Acts, the seventh chapter, Stephen, the first Christian martyr. What does he do by the Holy Spirit? He reviews their whole history with them as that nation. And tells them that in times past they had been stiff necked and they had rebelled against God and they had stoned and killed the prophets that had been sent to them. And it said when they heard that, they were cut to the heart. So that's that leading edge. That's that cutting edge. 2nd Corinthians the 5th chapter about verses 14 through 17 Paul says that we who live should no longer live for ourselves but rather we should live for the one who died for us that's the cutting edge he died for us we live for him That's what cleared the way so that we could grow spiritually. Matthew, the fifth chapter, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But in verse 16, he says, Let your light so shine that men will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the cutting edge so that they can see where they need to go and how they can grow. But now more to the point. In verse 5, the head of that axe flies off. He just lost the cutting edge. The very thing, the one thing that he could use to do the work that he was wanting to do he just now lost it he lost the cutting edge so verse 6 Elijah asked him where would you lose it and he points to a place That's where he lost it. Romans, the 12th chapter, and verse 2. Paul says, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye might show forth what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can't change it if you're exactly like it. Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus said, if salt loses its flavor, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. So he loses it. And Elijah asks him, Where'd you lose it? And he points, right there. That's where I lost it. Mess. You ever lost anything? And when you lose it, do you ever think to yourself, or does somebody ask you? Well, where were you? (laughs) What were you doing when you lost it? And you have to stop and think back. What was I doing? Where was I when I lost it? And so he loses that cutting edge. And Elijah asks him, Where'd you lose it? Verse 5 through 7. But as one was cutting down the tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick, and he threw it in there, and he made the iron to float. Therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand, and he took it. it was borrowed you lost it where did it fall he takes a stick and puts it right in there and isn't it interesting that then it says and he made the iron (laughs) it's like he wants to make sure you understand iron doesn't float so Elijah takes the stick throws it in there But do you think Elijah made that iron float? But Elijah wasn't. Do you think that stick made that iron float? Huh? But it was the man of God and he used this stick and God made that iron float. God did. What man could not do for himself. But when it floated, then he told him, Reach out your hand and pick it up. God did his part. Now you do your part. And he cries out, It was borrowed! <laughs> And we know from other Old Testament passages, it was a serious thing to borrow something from someone. You lose it, damage it, you got to pay for it. you got to make restitution. You're responsible for what you are using. You're responsible for what you have borrowed. You should take it serious. Now, for those of you who have ever used an axe, (laughs) I have a few times. You have that axe handle. You have that axe head. And right in the middle or on the side, depending on who set it up originally, you have a wedge. And you make sure that wedge is tight so that the head doesn't come off. And sometimes when you're cutting, you may notice that it's starting to become a little loose. And so you drive the wedge back down in there. So you don't lose it. Don't lose your cutting edge. You're responsible for it. You think that ever happens spiritually? Your cutting edge. It's getting a little loose. (laughs) Maybe you need to tighten it up. Before you lose it. Some of the commentators I read on this talking about that cutting edge said that sometimes people think that somebody else can hold their cutting edge for them. The example they gave was like parents. (laughs) Sometimes kids think, well, if my parents are faithful, they've got a cutting edge and that covers me. That don't work. You got to have your own. Sometimes it's said in marriages one spouse may be faithful the other one but as long as that one is then I'm covered. That don't work. You got to have your own cutting edge. You're responsible for it. Now that's what some suggested. So now I'm going to tell you my thoughts on that. (laughs) He has it. It's borrowed. He's responsible for it. And when he loses it, he cries out to the man of God. He says, oh, alas, my master, and it was borrowed. And the man of God helps him to recover. What's that telling us is what he had was on loan from somebody else. So now back to the book of First and 2 Kings and the nation of Israel. If you stop and think about it, Everything they were. Everything they had. Everything that they hoped to become. Was on loan. From God. He was the one that made them a nation. And gave them that. He was the one that gave them their faith. He was the one that gave them the law. It was all on loan from him. And they were going to be held accountable for how they used it and how they cared for it. And one day, he won it back. this nation at this time they were being more than careless with it what God had loaned to them in fact they were just about to lose it totally but just like the man of God God was willing to help them get it back but when he made it float And when he made it available, he said, now you stretch out your hand and you pick it up. God will do his part. He wanted to know if they would do theirs. And it's the same thing today. Our faith is on loan from God. How are we handling it? And are we taking care of it? He's done his part. He wants to know if we'll do it. So that's the lesson from Second Kings 6, verses 1 through 7. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If we can help you this day in making your relationship right with the Lord, you let us know while together we stand and why we sing.